As women in this industry, it's a different narrative. It just is, and it always has been. And one of the things that I love having the opportunity to do, I've been on a lot of tours and put together a lot of tours that are featuring my fellow sisters in this industry, giving some young girls an opportunity and to put them in front of people, not just to be like, yay women, but also, man, it, there's nothing like having a conversation with a woman in this industry because you have this parallel, you know, it's like having war buddies. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. I am talking to the badass herself, Lizzie Hale, who is an absolute rock and roll star. But we're talking to her on the heels of releasing Hailstorm's new album, Back from the Dead, which was written during the pandemic. And this episode is really special because we go through each song on this album and Lizzie gets to give us her take on the inspiration behind it. But she tells me about dealing with an identity crisis during the pandemic, much of which threads through the songs in the new album. She talks about getting reacquainted with her anxiety and working through it. That experience has made this record her most personal, lyrically especially. We discuss using the element of surprise as a woman in music. She shares a great story about a tactic that she implemented as a performer to have the audience hear her voice before they ever saw her. She describes herself as a reformed introvert and explains the exercises she put herself through to overcome stage fright. It was very shocking to me to discover that she considers herself an introvert as well, because if you've ever seen her on stage, you would never believe it. And it was just such a pleasure to talk to her. She's so down to earth. In fact, during the middle of our conversation, I had a sudden power outage at my house. We were clipping along and I thought we had lost everything. And she was so gracious and patient and just jumped right back into the conversation with me. So while she might be a rock and roll goddess, she is also just a great person to hang out with. So enjoy my wonderful conversation with the iconic Lizzie Hale. Congratulations on this upcoming record. I got to listen to Back from the Dead and it's so stellar. It totally feels like a 
post-pandemic record. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, um, it it is <laughs> very much so. I don't I don't think um, any of us, and I'm not the only one. Um, I don't think that anybody that was writing, uh, you know, r- shortly after the wor- world changed, um, you can't really help but feel that weight, you know, and everything that is that was happening in the world and and the impending doom or the uncertain future. Um, and really the only thing that we could really do about it or control about it is to, is to write. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I learned a lot about myself (laughs) through writing this record. Some of it scarier than, uh, (laughs) than I wanted it to be. For sure. I mean, it was a pretty gnarly time. And I think I read one quote and I want to go through the track listing later after we kind of talk about a little bit of your story, even though it's very well documented, but I love this quote that you had um, saying, we started writing this album about three months BC before COVID. Once we went into lockdown and were unable to perform and tour, I fell into a dark place and something of an identity crisis. This album is a story of me carving myself out of that abyss. It is a journey of navigating mental health, debauchery, survival, redemption, rediscovery, and still maintaining faith in humanity. I felt every piece of that quote, especially just the approach that I made to my last record that I, I also wrote a lot of it was inspired by just the rhetoric that was going on even before the pandemic. And then we were putting that pressure cooker and it just was like the disgusting way that we were talking to each other or not talking to each other at all. Exactly. It's just so heavily in- influential on my music, but you articulated it. I love the debauchery <laughs> line and uh, maintaining faith that, in humanity. Yeah. Like these were real existential questions well yeah and it's it's interesting when you are left with um so few tools you know in your in your tool belt so to speak and 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 i realized after the touring went away and there was no real plan for that to begin um when i wasn't able to have that camaraderie with my bandmates i mean it had been the longest either one of those things had happened, you know, um, cause even when I was 13 and, you know, 14, when we first started the band, um, I had like a bowling alley gig at least twice a month, you know? Yeah. So, um, so, and I would have gladly taken that, but, uh, <laughs> but you realize that all of these things are tools that you use to battle certain, you know, either, either certain darknesses or, um, you use them as your armor in a lot of ways. And, and I feel like when all of that went away, um, I was, I was left with so few, <laughs> you know, tools in the tool belt in order to combat a lot of that. Um, I got to know, um, not, not the Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm on stage, but the Elizabeth Hale who has been on her uh, couch in her pajamas for three days, <laughs> you know, yep. Uh, so that's a little scary to look at yourself in that way. And I hadn't seen her in a while. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I don't, I got to, I definitely got to, uh, got reacquainted with, uh, my anxiety that I hadn't mm-hmm. really felt since I was in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely fell into a, you know, depressive hole for a second. And, you know, you realize how much this music means to you and how much when you've built your life around, this not uh, not career i can't even say that because the fact that i can call it a career is is just a perk but right you get reacquainted with the why why you love doing it why you actually not just love it but you 
need that in your life in yeah. order to, you know, to, <laughs> to go to war with the world. And so, yeah, I really, I literally had to kick myself in the butt and sit myself down and be like, all right, well, what can I do? All I can do is try to write through it. And, um, and I'm at, it, the silver lining, you know, of all of that is that I feel like I needed to address maybe some of those issues and maybe face myself in a different way. Maybe if the world had stayed the same, I wouldn't have, you know, and or maybe it would have come up later, you know, when I um, or when I least expect it. So the fact that I did have that time to move through it, um, it made this record at its core, probably one of my most personal lyrically. But then what you discover through that is that you're not alone in those feelings you know, at all. And, and so when I listen to the album now, it almost seems more universal because it came from that core place because you weren't writing it for, you know, radio. You weren't writing it because, okay, we have these like tours coming up. You're writing just to try to put the pieces of the puzzle together in your head. So <laughs> I don't know. I guess to, to me, that's the silver lining of it all. You You definitely use this time so constructively. And I think so many points that you hit on. You have, this was a vocation for you. you your acceptance speech at the She Rocks 2020 award ceremony when you got the Inspire Award. You say something, I'm paraphrasing wildly, but uh, that this was a vocation. It wasn't a career choice. This was your, like, rock and roll summoned you. And you've been in this band since you were 13 years old, formed it with your brother. Like, that identity crisis, if you weren't experiencing that, would be... Something would be missing. There would be connectivity not there. My little brother. So, uh, I mean, we have this all this stuff set up in the back because we've been uh, going over these new songs. And my little brother um, just recently reminded me that it's 2022 and it's 25 years since we started Hailstorm. And so I've been in this band longer than I haven't been in this band. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. So then all of a sudden the world forces you interrupt this routine, this, this lifestyle that you've grown so accustomed to. And I had these questions like, well, if I'm not a performer, who am I? You yeah. Know, like you have the Elizabeth Hale. I have like the Margaret Rose Durante that like, <laughs> who the hell is she? And I've not been doing this for 25 years, but you know, definitely long enough, almost 15 years in Nashville to have felt like there were parts of my personality that I wasn't exploring because my focus was so singular with music and I love it so much. We pour so much of our life and energy into it, but listening to back from the dead, it is universal. Like there are so many themes about identity and, you know, holding your ground, like embracing exactly what makes you, you, your individuality. And it's tough. I mean, we all had to be tough to sustain what we went through collectively, but it's, uh, there's so much strength in it. Very um, inspiring. I'm so glad that, uh, that means a lot to me, especially, you know, coming from you because you're, you are looking at it from, from your perspective, but also as a, you know, as an amazing, you know, performer and songwriter that, you know, you, you are looking at it from that point of view as well. And I appreciate that. Well, Lizzie, you're also a musician's musician. There's not a single musician I know who doesn't, A, know who you are, and B, absolutely admire your talent. They're, you are loved by everyone in, in Nashville, oh. in the music industry. But you're also, you know, a reputable 
collaborator. Like you've been featured on so many other bands, projects. You are very willing to jump up there. I think I saw you at CMT Awards with Eric Church back in the day. I was in the audience and it was like, that worked too. But, you know, you are able to jump up with the Dead Deads or like, it's just, you kind of work in all these different spaces and bring such a cool energy and dynamic to any situation that I imagine that that part missing your bandmates was one thing, but also missing your mm. fellow performers and all that collaborative energy that you are known to exude. Well, thank you. First of all, that's very sweet of you to say. I'm, I'm really lucky to have collaborated with so many different people in so many different genres and and every time, um, it's kind of the same conversation. I mean, Eric Church was was one of the absolute best. And he literally, you know, he took me aside. He's like, I don't want you catering to the audience. I don't want you to put on your country hat. I want you to rock. That's why you're here. And then he and then he kind of th- <laughs> he threw me too. <laughs> he threw me to the wolves because um, we had had rehearsal the day before for that performance at the CM. CMAs and CMTs. We did both, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we had rehearsal the day before. I had my part. He had his. It was very much like the album. And then before he gets into this elevator that's supposed to raise him up through the stage to start the song, like it's literally countdown time. He's like, Lizzie, come here. I had an idea. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. He's like, we get to that last, last course. I'm just going to step back and let you do something. So just do something cool. I'm like, Oh, um, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> like we didn't rehearse that, and and so you nothing know, like rehearsing in front of thousands of people on live of, TV. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you're being broadcast, and, yeah. and you know, not only are there these amazing country stars, and there's Lionel Richie sitting there, and Nicole Kidman, you know, and all these people. Um, but yeah, oh no, just it, it's going to be fine. Just do something cool, like. Jesus, Eric, you know, um, but there is something that happens when you are put in that position. Oh, and yeah. That's what I love about live music. I mean, um, even I mean, the guys and I, too, probably to our detriment, um, we don't use uh, uh, live. We don't use a click track. We don't use any tracks. There's no backing. I'm not miming. Um, and that is just where life happens. That's absolutely. Where the, it could be a total train wreck, and or it could be this magical moment that happens that'll never happen again. And the risk of that is part of the reason why we, you know, love playing live and why we love touring. Um, still, for some re- weird reason, <laughs> you know. Amen. So. That's where it happens. The urgency of the live music absolutely and even when it is a train wreck that's kind of exciting for the audience too because they know that there are humans up on stage working together to make something happen and you the recovery can be just as exciting to watch and witness i mean no fear What is it like being in a band with your brother? I mean, I'm sure at this point, it's just like, what else is there given how long you guys have been working together? But it's, it's super, it's super normal, obviously now, mm-hmm. but um, it's been more of a gift than it has been a hindrance. He's responsible for more than he lets on, um, you know, being the, you know, he's a drummer. So he's, yeah. a, he's a little 
He's very loud. He wears his personality on the outside. He was he was literally born like camera ready. Like, where is it? Where's the camera? I'm ready for stage. He like never really gets nervous at all. Um, going as is, I've had to work very hard uh, to be a reformed introvert, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, to try to figure out how to even look at people when I'm on stage. And he's just always been. I, I'm I'm ready to do whatever, sis. So every harebrained scheme that I had when we first started this band, he's like, well, yeah, I get to play drums. This is great. You know, yeah. so um, he's always had that kind of attitude. There's something about when when the music, you know, bug hits you. I think that you kind of freeze time for a mm-hmm. second. We're both just as immature, I think, as, as we were back then. Um, just now it's on a different level, you know. But he's he's awesome, too, because he's he's half, like, alien crazy person and half wise old owl sometimes. Because I remember when we were going through, uh, we were trying to find guitar players and, and bass players and people our own age when we were teenagers. And, I mean, it was just so hard to find... Um, you know, people our own age that right. were just as obsessed as we were. Every time that somebody would either be pulled out of the band or we had a couple members that were like, hey, this is too hard. Um, and then and then our the last, you know, few before we ended up meeting Joe and Josh, our current members, all just wanted to be in cover bands because it was easier to be a cover band than try to do it as as an original piece. And And every time that happened, I would always be like... Well, bro, are we like crazy yeah. <laughs> for doing this? Because I, nobody else seems to be having this idea. And uh, and I remember like without fail, it was always something to the effect of like, well, yeah, of course we are. But what else are we going to do mm-hmm. <laughs> with our lives? What else would we possibly want to do? So like, OK, fine, we'll stick it out. So it was it was him and I against the world for a long period of time. And, it you know. Then we ended up meeting Joe and Josh, uh, you know, in our late teenage years. And and um, it just finally felt like a band. You know, we finally found these, you know, two guys that were had the same work ethic. You know, we went from it just being like my brother and I pulling teeth to try to get people into, you know, to just to practice to with Joe and Josh. We were practicing for like 14 hours a day right. in my parents' basement. You know, it's like we, we got to be ready. There's going to be an, a door that opens. We got to be ready. So I'm really lucky because, you know, it's been this, it's been the four of us, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, <laughs> since uh, 2003. Well, and I think that, you know, the last two years have put a strain on you know, people in a band or, or in any organization where you're you're having to be committed to each other and to your common goal. But, you know, just to say that you guys have been together since 2003, that you found these people as committed to the music as you are in your teens. I know you said late teens and you had already been doing it for a while, but still, that's really early in life to find, like, you know, partners. Yeah. It's a marriage, essentially. It, and, it is. And it, it takes, you know... I admire my guys so much, you know, not, not, not just my little bro, but with Joe and Josh, like they're not, they're not egotistical in any possible way. And they were never weirded out by the fact that I do get a lot of attention as, as, you know, just even just for being a girl, but also just Mm. being the front person. They've always been super supportive of that. There was never really that conversation. It was like, then again, I've, I've always been somewhat of a tomboy. So, so there were, there were many a tours where I was the only girl, but I would forget that, you know, it's like, you're like, this is the least interesting thing about me is that I'm a girl. Yeah. It's it's the fact that I was, you know, born female, but it, right. Somehow that always does come up. 
Well, it's, I mean, it's definitely a thing, especially in your particular type of music. I mean, a lot of people like to be like, hey, can't we just all get along and we're all equal? It's like, well, we're getting there, but we're not there yet. Like, it's just an incontrovertible truth. It's, it's not there yet. I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing us taking the strides, especially in in the especially in the rock world. Um, you know, there's just so many of us now. Where it used to be only only me, and I remember like carrying in you know my equipment at any point in time. You know, like into the bars or the clubs or something. And it's like somebody would always be like, "Oh, that's awesome." My girlfriend never carries in my equipment. Just assuming, the- or like the merch tables over there. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, I grew up a lot, uh, you know, with a lot of my dad's and my and my parents' music. But, um, you know, my earliest influences were, you know, Alice Cooper and Dio and <laughs> you right. know, Black Sabbath. I was in a lot of 70s, 80s and the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, much to my, you know, my fellow girlfriend's chagrin. They, you know, <laughs> did not understand my taste in music. <laughs> but I love how you talk about your brother, but also your parents' influence on your music, how supportive they were. You're from... Pennsylvania, kind of close yeah. to where I grew up and having your dad show you Black Sabbath and put a guitar in your hands for the first time. But then your mom also saying, look at Joan Jett and Ann Wilson, yeah. and Nancy Wilson and like all these badass women and you embracing that you are like a female in this role and letting other girls who will come after you be like, oh, if I see it, I can be it is what they did for you. And I think that there's a lot of value to acknowledging that you are walking a path that's going to be just a little bit harder than your brothers, not RJ, but like your brothers of rock and roll. And it makes you even more compelling. I mean, I keep going back to this acceptance speech that you gave at She Rocks in 2020, but like you touch on some bullshit, like a producer telling you to like slowly take off your bra on stage and like what a, what a shitty recommendation a but also i was like yeah i feel like i've had it's just this feeling of being objectified um where the music was maybe not even secondary but like third fourth along the line of criteria that they were looking at me and analyzing me on exactly and and even those things i like i look back on those things and those moments of of yeah hey you know or even like when when i was like 17 somebody um, one 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 of those you know, kind of industry guys that aren't like really in the industry, but they used to be or something. And one of those guys, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you need to lose ten pounds. I'm like, I was 17. There was no way I was going to be losing ten. But I didn't need to at the time, right? <laughs> and I I look back on that stuff and I realize that a, a lot of in a lot of ways, my naivete of that time was a little bit helpful because I absorbed it, but I didn't really let it be this thing that was going to bring me down or bum me out. It was almost mm-hmm. like you use some of those misconceptions or those, or, or then even just the notion that no one's going to assume that you're in the band and you use those things as kind of your superpower and, and weapons in your arsenal. And like, all right, if you're not going to, you know, um, acknowledge that in me, I'm going to, you know, have to work, obviously twice as hard, but also even like with the live show, um, I started opening up our sets, not even on the stage. I started just, you know, being in the audience, like with a hoodie and a microphone (laughs) and be like, all right, you're going to hear my voice first. Then you're not going to see me first. 
and assume that I'm, oh, oh, she's a girl. So I don't know if I, you know, like all of those little things. And as women in this industry, we, it's a different narrative. It just is. And it always has been. And, and one of the things that I love um, having the opportunity to do is, uh, you know, I, I've been on a lot of tours and put together a lot of tours that are featuring, you know, my, fe- my fellow sisters in this industry um, and, you know, giving some young girls, you know, a, a, an opportunity and tours to, you know, to put them in front of people. Um, because not just, not just to be like, yay women, but also, man, it, there's nothing like having a conversation with, with a woman in this industry because you know you've, you have this parallel, right. you know, these parallel universes that, that, that you, you've gone through, uh, you know, it's like having war buddies, you know, right. you've got, you know, uh, there should be a VFW for, <laughs> yeah, for, for, for females in this industry. So sit we- around, exchange our war stories over some beers. I love that you use the, the, the element of surprise though. You know, there's this, I often ask, um, all my guests, like what is at the end of every show jumping ahead to it, but like, what's your favorite part about being a woman in the industry. And oftentimes it's some version of like, I like to sneak up on, on them. And I like to use, uh, this, you know, unfortunate reality of sometimes being underestimated to my advantage. And then not only do I exceed their expectations, but like, you know, that leaves more of an impression on whoever was, uh, you know, not, not giving me all the credit that was due. And, you know, you just keep doing that time and time again, and it does change. I think I am hopeful about the industry and, you know, shame on the dickheads who are like, oh, here's the merch table over here. And like, that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I think even with the crew and, and gaffers, like we need more women helping us build our stages and just like those tides need to shift a little bit, but I at least feel that we're self-aware in the industry more than we were even a couple years ago. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm seeing a lot of that, you know, female tour managers and lighting directors, and there's more producers getting, getting uh, credit where credit's due. I just talked to a 15 year old interviewer from Canada and she's funny because she's like, well, I've only been doing this for four years. I'm like, yeah, you've, you were like 11. Yeah. 15. <laughs> but she was very, she was very, you know, um, uh, well researched and, and really good questions. And she was telling me about the influence that my band had on her, not necessarily, she didn't want to be a musician, but she wanted to be in this industry. And the fact, the same thing that we're talking about, the fact that she could see someone like me or someone like you and doing doing what we love. Well, I, you know, I want to be the one that talks to the stars, to that 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 gives the interview and that writes the article and all of that. And so it was, it's very inspiring to see a lot of young women really just taking the reins and owning, you know, whatever it is makes them who who they are in the same way that I'm not into hard rock because I, you know, I wanted to impress my boyfriend when I was 14. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, but it was because it was something that was a part of me and it's a, it's still something that's a part of me. And it's great to see all of these women, not just on stage, but off stage owning this genre and pr- kind of, and just proving that no matter what genre it is, music is genderless, you know, mm-hmm. and 
it's because it hits us all in a different way. I'm proud to be a part of all this and I'm proud to have made it kind of to a certain position where no one's really questioning whether I'm in the band anymore. (laughs) Hey there, everybody. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Lizzie Hale. I have been a fan of hers for such a long time, so this was very exciting to be able to sit down with her and speak with her at length about this new album, Back from the Dead, and all the ways in which the pandemic influenced the lyrics that she put into it. And she's so gracious. I mentioned the power outage that we experienced during this interview at the beginning of the episode, and she was extremely patient with me and all the technical difficulties. It was so 2020 of us. But... I find it interesting that so much of our conversation thus far has revolved around the ways in which we found creativity and beauty during a time of isolation and a lack of touring. Because right now I'm feeling a little bit of re-entry fatigue and like I'm in over my head a bit. And I just can't wait to look back on this time with more wisdom like Lizzie and I are able to look back at the pandemic times and see what kind of creativity and beauty we're able to glean from the chaos that you know, we're all kind of dealing with right now. I'm currently getting my hair processed, which I know is shocking to all of you who think that it grows out of my head this way, but just even finding a little moment to you know, do some maintenance and take care of myself feels so impossible, so... Just encourage everybody to be kind to yourself and don't get overwhelmed by just the craziness that we're all kind of in the midst of and that is seemingly resumed. But for now, I have to go rinse out my hair. Love you guys. You know, one thing you said a couple of minutes ago that I loved was that you're a reformed introvert. Like, I would never have assumed that i mean there's just like this ferocity that you have on stage that did you what steps did you take to overcome your being an introvert or any insecurities or shyness that you claim to have had i mean i do cite this band only because that was kind of the mission um but i'll 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 go back a little bit because my mom told me a funny story (laughs) recently um about when i was in kindergarten and we were doing, we were practicing like fire drills and and what to do if there's a fire. And um, apparently my teacher pulled my mom aside after school because, and I don't remember this, but, um, you know, they were trying to teach us that if you're hiding somewhere or you're like stuck in a closet, you need to yell, you know, for the for the firemen. And apparently I wouldn't yell. Yes. <laughs> I, I would just save yourself. It. And which is kind of ironic because I, I basically make my living yelling now. But um, <laughs> but, you know, even then through even in middle school before the you know band started, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to have the responsibility. I, I didn't like raising my hand unless I absolutely had to, um, you know, in class. And I kept to myself for the most part. You know, I had, you know, a few friends, but just didn't want to put myself out there, you know, and um and then when we started the band, I was so frustrated because I'd be watching, 
these, uh, I'm dating myself, but these VHS tapes that, you know, my parents would find, you know, at our, you know, local record shop or something of these like concerts. There was live concerts of Pat Benatar and mm-hmm. Ronnie James Dio in the UK. And I was into Cinderella, you know, mm-hmm. um, the band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was a kid. They were just staring thousands of people down, just staring them down and have this presence and be able to walk out on the stage in bright lights in front of so many people. And it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, just like getting up in front of a class, you know, to like read an essay that, you know, is just, I would, you know, have a panic attack. One of the first things I started doing in the band was I would pick one person, which must have been, must have looked really creepy, actually, now that I think about it, you know, being a 14, 15 year old, and you would, I would pick out one person and literally have a staring contest with them. Because what I realized is that very quickly they would look away. Because they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, got him, on to the next one. And so for the longest time, that's how I started developing some kind of stage presence because it it almost felt like it was a little bit of a superpower. Be like, all right, cool. I have the microphone. And I'll just keep going down the line. And so from there, then I would end up stepping off the stage and starting to do that. And then uh, the other thing that I did, um, I would make my little brother. And then um, at the time, my my dad was also in the band for a little while. He was our bass player. And I would make them do choreography, you know, just things that went along with the song. And so they would all do that with me. You know, not really dance moves, but just kind of moves that I that would keep me doing something. And so I would kind of choreograph it within the song. So I would be doing something, even if I couldn't really think on my feet. Because like now, I'd, obviously, I don't make anybody do choreography <laughs> now. But you're able to now think on your feet and, and and have that moment with people or be able to kind of steer the ship. But yeah, it was a lot of doing that and a lot of just putting myself in these uncomfortable positions. Yeah. I mean, that was from a very early age, just kind of having to force yourself to jump, you know, off the cliff into the lake, even though it looks really scary and your body doesn't even necessarily want to do it. But even to, I mean, to this day, I still have a little bit of nerves It's before we go on stage. Not, and, and they're not bad nerves anymore. They're not like, oh gosh, something's, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Right. Um, I don't really get too hot in the face anymore, but it's, it is a beautiful panic and it's a beautiful, just heightened sense of where you're at and knowing that you're ready. And um, I'm, I'm actually really grateful that I still get that today. Your voice is insane. You're a very gifted musician. Those are things that probably have always come naturally to you. Like you probably can say, I've always been a good singer. I've always, you know, I had a knack for guitar early on. You had good teachers with your dad and stuff. The best advice for anyone starting out in music is like that those days where you feel like nothing's going on and they're kind of quiet and you're working on yourself and your development are just as important as... Mm. Like those big moments where you feel like, oh, I've made it. And this has been a validator for what I have going on. But having that awareness at such a young age, knowing that my hand feels awkward here, but I know that I need <laughs> to hold it here and, and have, like commit to what my choices are. Nothing is 
easy. Everything is is hard and it still is. You know, it's just it's on a maybe it's on a different level now, kind of like you're playing a video game and you you, you start at the, with the basics and then, mm-hmm. you know, now is a different fight. You know, you're, you're not I'm not fighting to prove that I exist. I, I'm fighting to prove that I deserve to be here. You're absolutely right. Like those those things early on and those those you know, trying to develop your songwriting and, you know, writing a lot of crappy songs before you even hit on something maybe you like or trying to figure out where you fit in with your musicianship, trying to figure out how to play the instrument. Mm -hmm. There was this natural gravitational pull to to music. And um, and I was really good at pitch, you know, from an early age. But in order to, to develop, you know, I mean, I wasn't singing the way I am now when I was 13, you know, I mean, to me, it was this weird primal need. And then combined with now I found something that's mine, Mm. that nobody else that I know is willing to do or or wants to do or can do, you know, even early on in our conversation, we were talking about, you know, trying to find members in the band. It's like, you, you take those little bouts of discouragement and say, okay, well, why, why am I so obsessed with this? You know, why, why am I sitting in my dad's garage with a four track task cam, you know, (laughs) (laughs) recorder and trying to put something down? Like, why am I doing that? I think it's, it's, it's beautiful, especially, you know, now with this, our, our new record coming out and with Back from the Dead is that I think I really did in, in a weird way, rediscover why I still use it and, and not, and not, and not because it's my career now and not because, you know, there's radio and I'm on a label and there's management and deadlines and all that stuff. Not because of that. It was because I, I needed to do it as my therapy and, and to, you know, remind myself of why I'm here and what I'm doing and what's my purpose. So that, you know, I mean, talk about kind of coming full circle, I suppose, you know, to yeah. back to this now, whatever, whatever the world is now, um, I'm hoping to take that little bit of magic and not necessarily lose that the next time we end up writing a record or just trying to do something, just trying to live in the now yeah. and really appreciate the fact that like, no, you know, I'm, I'm still here, still doing my thing. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be all right. <laughs> So I wanted to talk about some of these songs. Back from the Dead. The video is amazing. You're like, you know, I don't make anyone do choreography anymore, but you do make everyone get in a body bag, which I think is, you know, why not? It's true. It's incredible. Which they're not meant for live for live humans, by the way. Yeah, I, I had, I've been in one in one video before. And oh my gosh, it's such a crick in my neck, like from getting in and out of it for takes and stuff. And it's like, yeah. Your performance was insane i feel like you are like an incredibly convincing actor too oh i appreciate that it, uh, there i do have an acting bug in me um i've i've read for things before like years ago uh, technically i have an acting agent that's like <laughs> on standby but um but i've never actually been in something uh so i get to kind of satiate that that you know, thing, uh, you know, when we do music videos and especially when we have like awesome directors, you know, um, who directed that 
um, D- uh, Dustin Long, Dustin Long. Yeah. And, uh, he's, he's local out here as well in, in Nashville. He's done a lot of, uh, country artists. Um, but he has a guilty pleasure for hard rock. So yeah, he was a great director. And so, and so it was just awesome. It's like, oh yeah, no, it's like, you have to do this, but then you say, like, okay, think of, you know, atrophy. You're coming back from the dead. You have to kind of fall here. Yeah, and like so there's marks. But yeah, we were very dirty. So don't call me Uh, Wicked Ways. I just love, I I use this word a lot, but you're so unapologetic. And it's, it was interesting to read your quote about an identity crisis and then hear your ownership of yourself in that song. Look, there's no way for me, at least this is from my opinion, there's no way that I'm going to be able to look at myself at any point in time and be like, I love everything about me. That's not going to happen. But I can accept that there are things that I can't change and there, I can accept that I do have a darkness to me and I can I can be really mean when I want to be and I don't like that about myself. Both that dark and light are, you know, really inherently make me exactly who I am. And, and so you kind of have to, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you have to accept it, but you also have to, you know, almost... It, it like embrace it really hard, right. <laughs> you know, and, and by, and again, by writing about it, it, it helps me, you said it right, I guess, take ownership, you know, for, for all of those things. Right. I really love Strange Girl. Sonically, it was just one that I was immediately like, I'm making the mean mug face right now for everyone listening, <laughs> but there, it's a little menacing, which I find like super intriguing and engaging i like that it's it's very challenging almost to the listener i think that that's really cool that you are able to just step into that that song was directly inspired by a a conversation that i had with a with a young fan a 15 year old that uh during the pandemic that was going through a very hard time um uh being her truest self uh especially uh when she had uh parents who were very unaccepting of that and kind of stuck in lockdown Mm. with that. And I kind of, I wanted to, I, we had a lot of conversations about owning our, not only owning our weird and owning the things that make us odd and weird, but, but, um, but again, being your truest self, being your most honest self and, and not being afraid of that. And also understanding that you're not alone in that. I mean, I'm, I'm like, like we uh, like <laughs> we mentioned before, I I I was a very strange child, <laughs> you know. I I there was no there was no real uh, normal um, that went along with any of it. Um, I and I thank my parents for that, um, you know, with with totally being okay with all of that. But I, I had very accepting parents, and so I was very um, I was compelled to write. I took this conversation into you know just into the writing process and really wanted to just kind of write her an anthem, but also kind of, and write it for myself too, and remind myself that it's okay. And uh, I feel like I do that a lot in, in some of my songs. If anything is talking about me, um, even if it's from the third person, I feel like I have to constantly use this tool to remind myself that it's, that I got this and it's, it's going to be fine. Even if I inherently know it, you know, Mm -hmm. because after a while, those, that, that initial sting kind of 
dulls and you want to feel it again. I want to feel proud um, to to be my my strange self, and uh, and that's that's a big reason why in the second verse I said, you know, would would you call me daughter? You know, because there are mm. so many so many women that I've had those conversations that do not have that relationship with their parents, and there is that aspect like i i feel like there's a contract that happens when if you have a child it has to be this unconditional love you have to be willing to and and you have to want to a be a parent you have to want to be a parent that's you know, that should be a given yeah. um and then, and then number 2 you know you have to love that child for whatever that they become yeah. you know and, and it doesn't it doesn't matter you know what they want to look like who they want to kiss all of these things that what they want to be um you know, so anyway, that that song was kind of me reminding her of of that, and also having to kind of dig back into how I was raised and how you know I'm so grateful to have had parents that didn't didn't discourage me from <laughs> from being in, from running away with the circus. <laughs> The Steeple, which is your second single, um, I absolutely love that song. I want to read this one comment that uh, one of your fans, Adam N., said on YouTube. Absolutely fantastic. I listened to it twice and had two very different understandings of the song. The first time around, I wasn't paying nearly as much attention to the lyrics, and it felt like an anthem about being on stage, feeling like a priest or another religious leader thinking about their congregation and the feeling of wonder, power, and responsibility it gives. That time it felt like a fantastic pump-up song. The second listen, I paid much more attention to the lyrics, and man, that changed things. It felt like it was about rising up from depression or another mental or physical ailment and getting back to being you and how looking back and thinking about all the voices in your head and how what they say to you drastically changes depending on your mental state. It also gives a sense of control back. As she says, out of hell up to the steeple. It hits hard. Thank you, Lizzie. Oh, that's so beautiful. I did I hadn't seen that. Thank you for sharing that. Um yeah, Adam, he kind of hit it right, right, right on both sides because it yes, yeah, so on, on one hand, um, there is an element of creating that type of or almost I should say we had to recreate it because we hadn't had it in so long, that sense of community and and communion and 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 that you know, it's a very religious experience when you are on stage. So there is that element to it. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's, it's for, for me in the same aspect that back from the dead, you know, is that kind of song of survival and, you know, and that understanding that you, that you aren't alone in your thoughts. And when that cloud kind of starts to, to lift and and exactly what he said, you kind of are able to take some of that control back. There is a juxtaposition, you know, to, to from from the before and and the after. That song needed to be written, you know, again as that kind of reminder that like it's it everything is going to be okay, and at some point in time, I am going to be surrounded by the people that I love, and we're going to be able to celebrate the fact that, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a long road out of hell up to the steeple. Here we go, yeah. you know, <laughs> we're back, baby. But yeah. 
Uh, Terrible Things is so good. It reminds me of Mad World. Changes the scene as you're rolling through the album in a really cool way. We are human, we are violent. We learn our lessons, then defy them. We are heartless and immoral. We carry hatred like a Bible. And there's a home in my life. Yeah, it's probably the quietest that I've been singing on the album at that point some everyone needed a break that that song developed into something interesting because it started out as I am terrible things mm. um as a very kind of disparaging uh where and the one day I came in I was like okay epiphany I see terrible things yeah and and like and he's <laughs> like what you know mm-hmm. and um and so really this is my observation of everything that we are and 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 unfortunately it's still you know it's still going on it has it 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 reaches beyond you know what we were seeing during lockdown or even even having to do with anything with the pandemic but really just observing our human nature and the fact that we are violent and right. we are watching history repeat itself over and over again. How do you maintain that faith that maybe we can get better and maybe there is hope, you know, um, yeah. how do you maintain that? And and for me, I have to continue to believe that we can evolve. Right. If I put up just a, a basic fundamental truth online, as in, Love one another. Be kind to each other. Those are fundamental things that we should be doing as humans. That has nothing to do with anything. I would get so much hate on everything underneath. Well, I guess I know who you voted for. It's like, it's like Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not even about that. Right. But it's like we we've gotten so so lost in so many directions. Um and then again, how do you maintain that faith in humanity? So this was just kind of me trying to put that down and and really just kind of put that out there. And, and what what I think is funny, and a, and a lot of people have have told me this that have listened to this is that you know it starts out and it's ballad, and like whoa, but this is not a love song. This is a this is a hope song for humanity. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm I'm proud to have hit on something that just seems a little bit more. Um, adult, you know, for, for what we do. And I feel like that message was really important to kind of put down. So uh, I come first, a uh, great title. First of all, the, the original version was written in about two hours as an experiment. And it was a, uh, it started off as a sex song. Yeah. <laughs> it started, you know, I'm, I'm the, I get off girl. Like I, I can do those things. Um, yep. <laughs> But but it, but it's interesting because then I I was listening down and I'm a, I'm a serial drafter and redrafter when it comes to these songs especially with the lyrics like there's always you know three or four maybe more different drafts until I feel like the puzzles together and um, I just really I didn't like it in that in that subject matter I don't know why it felt kind of kitschy and um, I feel like it it sounded like it was something that I had done before you know there was even like some whips and chains like (laughs) happening (laughs) Uh and I'm like I don't know man you know I'm 38 not that there's anything wrong with whips and chains when you're 38 but I just feel like it just seemed a little unimportant you know considering some of the other subject matter that I was kind of touching on on this album and and so literally took out all of the, 
Like, what if I just take out all of the sex lines and replace those, you yeah. know, as literally having this kind of self-love and and empowerment and how important that is to to stand up for yourself. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, this is great. One of Joe's friends was like, was like, oh yeah, you know, cool, I come first, like, like, like in the bed, right? I'm like, if that's what you want to hear, that's fine. But I think that the suggestion of it is super effective, but you know, you listen to the lyrics and you crafted exactly the song you wanted to craft after kind of coming back to it with your revisions and just as a woman listening to it i saw the title knowing you and like the fact that you like to inject a little sarcasm and humor i loved it and i was like i feel like i'm in on a joke graphic novel coming out on Halloween. All of the artists are are women um and the we got hooked up with uh with these which now they've become like super friends of ours but the Winter Twins they're they're two sisters uh and they're just incredible writers and when we were going over um what we wanted to do with this they asked us like well you know do you want it to be you guys as the characters um and I'm like well yeah, I think that would be really fun. Yeah. And then they started really analyzing like all of our music videos, all the subject matter in our songs. And they're like, actually, there's like this thematic thing that goes on through everything. And especially with the music videos. And I'm like, we literally didn't plan any of that. But I suppose. How cool. <laughs> there's some- See, that's so, what you need so- an outsider to, yeah. to look at you like that, perceive you just like exactly. a producer. I mean, how neat. Lizzie, you are the best. Just congratulations on everything. And I hope I get to see you in Nashville very soon. You're just such an inspiration. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the amazing Lizzie Hill. Go give her a follow on all of her socials at official Lizzie Hill. That's L-Z-Z-Y. And give Hailstorm a follow as well at Hailstorm Rocks. Go listen to their new album, Back from the Dead. It will get you pumped up and keep your eyes peeled for the new graphic novel that Lizzie and I spoke about. And she's also going to be a judge on Hip Parader's upcoming show, No Cover. She's a very busy woman. And to keep up with me on my socials, you can follow me at I am Maggie Rose. Go check out my tour schedule at maggierosemusic.com. And for exclusive Salute the Songbird content, live stream concerts, and more, become a member of my With The Band family. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose, produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, and Kirsten Cluthy, with production assistance from Grace Romer and Kip Young, edited by Matt Dwyer, music by Maggie Rose, show logo by Premier Music Group, graphics by Catherine Boyles and Mark Dowd. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. And to close out the episode, here's Strange Girl by Hailstorm from their new album, Back from the Dead. You know
Osiris. <laughs> 